Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the entree musician and so are you. And so is this wonderful gentleman sitting to the left of your screen. He is none other than composer, pianist, educator, jazz fusionist, pianist extraordinaire, Mr. Jawanzi Koba. And he's joining us from West Philly. I am grateful to just be able to know him for the first time. I've only known him through his music. And now we're going to find out so much more about this great band leader. Brother Juwanza, how you doing today, man? Welcome to the Entree Musician. I'm finding yourself and thank you for having me. It's an honor. Oh, it's an honor to have you, man. I've, uh, you know, poured over your bio several times. I've had the opportunity to check out your music in the different configurations. Love how you flow through the genres, man. And you've been doing this a lot, a long time and just pretty much setting the standard for the rest of us, brother. Yes, I have been doing this for a long time. So the first time I actually did my first record was in 19, well, 1974. That was the first time I actually went in the studio and did a demo record. Wow. Didn't go wow. anywhere, but uh, I did. But now, was this for you or was this with another artist? No, this is for me. And actually, um, in a record company, you never believe it, what it was, um, a record company that was interested from that four, four um, track demo, not four track, four tune demo, uh -huh. Pickwick International. Oh, wow. Now, Pickwick International, I never heard of Pickwick International Records, but the claim to fame, the most famous person on it, it might be for your time, was Lawrence Welk. Oh, well, I knew Lawrence Welk when I was little. I saw the bubbles. <laughs> yeah, he was the most. Now, he was a big to... conductor, right? He he conducted an orchestra, Lawrence. He was right? on every weekend. They had a Lawrence Welk show. He was on every, he had a big orchestra. Oh, it was band orchestra, you know, stuff like that. Not a big orchestra, more, more so band. And yeah, Lawrence Welk would come on with, like you said, with the bubbles and things like the tap dancers and, and things like that. And, uh, he was, a, he was a staple on TV for weekends. Um, I, I, I never got into him, but but I knew mm -hmm. who he was. He, he was just world famous. But that's, that was the claim to fame. He was the most famous artist on that record. And they were trying to branch out into the youth. Okay. Um, but, that, but it never manifested any beyond it. They were interested. They said they were going to, you know, but like I said, here we are right now talking about the past. <laughs> well, that's interesting, though. 1974, first demo, uh, Pickwick International. I mean, that's, you know, that's potential right there. I knew that had to encourage you to say, hey, this is definitely something I'm going to continue to pursue, right? Oh, yes. Yes, it did. Said, since I didn't work with people, I mean, like you're a musician, you know, it's instilled in us, man. If one thing doesn't work, we're going to keep trying. That's Not right. that one thing stop us. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right about that. And it, what's interesting is, you, is how you said, you know, you were not necessarily a fan of Lawrence Welk, but you definitely have some roots in classical music because you were a serious uh, follower of uh, Beethoven and Gershwin and Copeland, right? Yes, I was. My, my brother, uh, my older brother, um, he he was my influence. He mm. he had a, he had an eclectic taste. He was like six years old, and he's passed now. Uh -huh. He um, had an eclectic taste in music. And if you would talk to me up until I was about let's say about six or seven, you would, I would have told you I loved only classical music because that's mm -hmm. what he was listening to. Now it's funny we grew up in West Philly in our neighborhood. You know West Philly, yeah, you know black neighborhood and everything like that. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and, and we were, we were, he was an anomaly because he listened to classical music, but he listened to everything. I mean, he listened to, I mean, everything. He was the first one, he brought on a Beatles album. I said, what are you doing that, bringing on Beatles album? Now I'm a fan of the Beatles. I mean, Beatles, I'm a, 
I'm the biggest fan of you. So, I mean, <laughs> this is where I got my classical introduction. Then my father, he was into jazz. Mm. And my father would bring home jazz albums and he would um, borrow jazz albums and bring home jazz albums. So that's why I got, so I was a musical sponge. But the wow. classical influence was mainly due to my brother. And he, like I said, Aaron Copeland, he was, he was, he would, first was Gershman, then he found Aaron Copeland. But then, I mean, his taste even grew even larger. I mean, he, he was really much of a great influence on me. Mm. Now, so uh, with respect to uh, his instrument, what, what did he play? My brother? Yes, sir. The record player. Oh, is that right? Oh, I thought, I thought maybe he was a musician as well. And so. No, I'm the only uh, musician in the family. <laughs> is that right? Wow. Yeah, no one else, no one else was music. He, what he did, well, my mother had him taking piano lessons before mm-hmm. when he was mm-hmm. 12 years old. Um, it didn't take well. It, it, it didn't stick with him. He had a, he had a, he had a very good voice. He, he, yes, he could sing, but as a musician, he, no, he 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 wasn't in it. That wasn't for him. And what happened? That's how my mother learned how I could play. After he didn't, he would have his lessons, and after he did his lessons, I listened to him. I go up and play his lessons behind him at six years old, and she realized I had some some ability to do that. So that's when she started me taking formal piano lesson because I was playing up by ear by that, but I, I could do his lessons after he finished playing. Wow. So, um, just by just by playing by ear. Well, her money didn't go to waste. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it didn't take with him, but you you got caught on to it. That was excellent. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. so you uh, you went on to pursue music formally. And uh, my understanding is uh, you have a degree in music majoring in composition at none other than Berkeley School of Music. So that that had to be while traveling around in Boston. You had a, um, a big band, 30 piece big band playing yes. jazz and funk. Tell mm-hmm. us about that time. Berkeley, I always tell some, I always give props to Berkeley. Berkeley was best time of my life. Mm. It was one of the best times of my life. Yeah. Raising my children was, you know, a lot of stuff too. But Berkeley, I recognized that that was the, the first time while I was alone. I said, some, a voice came to me and said, enjoy this. It's not going to get any better than this. So Berkeley was a great experience. It was formal because I'm prior to going to Berkeley, I went to, like I said, I took the piano lessons from the private piano instructors. Then I went to the settlement music school here in Philadelphia. Um, I don't know if, if you're not familiar, settlement's a really large, it's a it's an institution here in Philadelphia, about four branches. Mm-hmm. Um, my piano teacher, neighborhood piano teacher, said she couldn't teach me anymore. They she got sick of me, and uh, so they so she suggested I go to another you know outlet. So my mother took me to Settlement Music School, where the Philadelphia Orchestra teachers taught. You know mm-hmm. some of those from those. So um, I was I just wasn't into taking lessons anymore. I only took lessons for a year, but I took composition there, which is what I really wanted to do. I've always been writing music. I started notating music at nine years old. Wow. Um, you can't read it, it doesn't make any sense, but that's when I started trying to make, notate music. So composition is what I really, I, I mean, I really love going to settlement school and getting, uh, and getting into composition. Fast forward years later, I went up to Berkeley, I auditioned the Berkeley and I actually got in. Um, I had been away from music for a while, but I, I practiced up and got into Berkeley and Berkeley, like I said, it was the, it was the greatest experience. I met some, I met lifelong friends who were here and the people who I knew then some of the people I met then that you know of right now, uh, I had a big band mm-hmm. and uh, like it's about, I say about 30 people. I forgot how many people I, I forgot. That was about 
20 piece, it was about 20 horns. I forgot mm-hmm. what, and the rhythm sections on top of that, you know, something like wow. that. And you were arranging as well? Wrote, wrote and arranged, wrote and arranged everything. I see. And to tell the truth, I like to say that was my first band. People say, well, how many bands? Yeah, that was my first one. I never played in bands too much here in Philly. I, um, I mean, occasionally they like, jam session, but that was, I always say that was my first band. That's the first way to start out in the 30 piece big band. Absolutely. A lot of mouths to feed, brother. Well, it was a student band. It was taken, uh, it, gotcha. it was taken, it was really an offshoot. It was a, I don't know if you're familiar with composer Ray Copeland. He was a teacher at Berkeley. And uh, his son's name is Keith, was Keith Copeland, the well-known drummer. He's a drum teacher at Berkeley. But Ray Copeland had a band. Wow. And it was majority Black members, uh, Black uh, musicians and stuff yeah. like that. But then the band disbanded. It got too much from it. got too political, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So musicians came and said, they came to me and asked me, you know, you should start a band. I had never, like I said, I'd never been in a band. I never arranged anything like that. I said, yeah, I could do this. I, so I got a band together, then went to the Elma Lewis School of Fine Arts and put a play together and put and then and came up with a performance for that band. And what I wanted to go and some of the musicians who were in my band who who have gone on to prominence at the time, I had two different big bands. And the last one at the Berkeley Performance Center had Bobby Sanabria. He's a multi-nominated Grammy Award. He's, he's multi-Grammy Award-nominated percussionist um, educator. Um, who else? Is that? Bill Pierce. Who's mm-hmm. uh, who's Art Blakely's uh, jazz messengers uh, yeah. music director? He was he was a first year um stu- he was a first year instructor at the year so he 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 was in the band for as a guest appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Eubanks, who I went to school with, guitars and stuff like that. Oh yeah, supposed to be in the band, and but it got to the point where I'd written so much music I didn't have enough time to fit him in. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And I'm trying to think who else that you might know. Oh, then John Toussaint, he went mm. on Blakely. Mm-hmm. And that was his first band getting. He he said he credits me for starting him off for being in the band. He said it gave him confidence. So those are the people who I went who I started, um, who I started out with in the band of one of the problems. And there were some people who came out at the same year. I came out of Berkeley. Eric Marienthal came out my year. Is that right? Wow. Kevin Eubanks, Bobby Sanabria. And I got to look back in a book who, uh, Tommy Campbell, mm-hmm. drummer. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other people. I have to look who, that was a class of uh, 79. <laughs> so we all came out the same year together. Oh, that's that's awesome. Eric Marienthal, you know, uh, with uh, Chikoria's Electric Band. Uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Eubanks just did an album. It might be two years now, but uh, with Dave Holland, that uh, Prism, I think is the name of the album. And mm-hmm. phenomenal stuff. And, uh, you know, course we were all like tripping when he got the gig on the tonight show you know (laughs) but that's fantastic that that was the time of your life basically i have stories with kevin i helped kevin move when we would see you know i remember i have stories helping him move from the apartment and stuff like that too we've connected in the last three years or something like that i haven't seen him in many years and now i'm seeing him at conferences and we reconnected since then so you know Wow. Well, you have two wonderful albums uh, of your own. And it's really interesting, like I said before, to hear the different genres that you kind of go through. Because even when you are playing some hard funk, 
You know, <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's your you know ode to uh, Chikoria, but I could I could still hear a lot of Gershwin. I can still hear a lot of classical vibe in the funk that you're coming because your band could be like straight in the pocket and you'll say hey let's make this left turn so <laughs> i really do dig that you know what are you trying to convey do you think when every time you sit down to the piano what is your primary message spiritually when you record or write or perform a song do you have something uh inside that you're trying to like get out or express i don't know how this will sound but I basically write music that, because I, I look at it like this, I'm going to be stuck with this music. So I write music that I would like to hear mm. or I'd like to listen to if it was another artist. And because I'm all, I mean, because I have an eclectic background um, or eclectic taste in music. I mean, I, I listen to, I'm a musical sponge. I'm not just pigeon to this. So I try to bring that out. And it just comes out in the music. Mm. Um, but the basic thing is like, if you, I use the premise again, it's like if you come over to my house and I make a dinner for you, yeah. I'm the one that's going to be stuck with the dinner. So if I come up here and make something for the guests all the times and they don't like the music, they don't like the, the food, yeah. I'm stuck with it. And go. so what do I do with it? So I approach music the same way. Mm. Let me put it so no one else likes At least I like something about it because eventually I'm the one that's going to be stuck with it. And, so, and I hope now, it may, I don't know what that sounds like. I don't want to. No, that you. sounds great. But I hope that people, other people maybe join this journey. Maybe they'll like it too, because I mean, because I'm all, I know I write all over the place and it's, and it's a, it's a sometimes I have to focus because the, the industry wants you to be in a certain pigeonhole, a certain category. Certainly. And Certainly. it's kind of hard for me. But Yeah. No, I, I understand that. I mean, one of the conversations we had before this conversation began online uh, was just that. And, uh, you know, it's art and commerce. And you have to sometimes be forced into striking a compromise that you don't want to because, you know, the light <laughs> bill still has to be paid. But, uh, you know, at the beginning of the day, it really is a spiritual journey for you because I've got to be happy with the output. And right. I, I, I've got to eat the leftovers, so, so to speak, right? Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, so, go ahead, I'm, I'm sorry. And it's just, to me, it just, it's so defeating when you write music, when you're trying to write for, I mean, you can't, you don't know the people's mindset. You don't know, all. I mean, there's no way possible. And then you write something for, I'm writing for, that's so much pressure for me. Mm. Yeah. So let me just write for the audience of one. Yeah. Hope yeah. That other people will, 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 you know, get on board, hope, you know, they yeah. get on board with it too. Man, I, I got to tell you about a time I saw uh, Herbie Hancock. This was uh, early in the game. Uh, Herbie, had the record out called Rocket, if you can remember, mm -hmm. the big robotic thing that was happening. I think he won a Grammy for that too. It's his first Grammy. So it's interesting because of all of the body of work that he had prior to, but I can tell you this, and anybody who's watching this or listening to the podcast may have been at that show. Um, it was at the front row in Cleveland, and I don't think that venue's open anymore, but I went with a couple of my friends because we were into the headhunters and the, the older 70s stuff, and this is new frontier for Herbie, but uh, Herbie brought a trio with him that night, which was interesting, full house, right? And he's going into these standards and, you know, maiden voyage, and he's just doing his thing from a trio perspective. And I'm telling you, man, maybe about 40, 45 minutes 
into the gig, you could hear people getting their keys and, you know, tipping out. And, you know, he had like half a room. And for about four minutes, this brother played Rocket as a trio, dude, 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 dude. It was really interesting. And then, you know, people were kind of appalled. And he said, okay, now we can really get into music. I mean, he, he felt like he needed to feed his own spirit that night. And it was a wonderful trio set, you know, but people were coming to hear Rocket. Now, there was someone who bucked the system because he know this is why they, you know, bought the tickets, but he wanted to play Rocket in his own way. It's crazy. <laughs> but it was still a great concert, too. I mean, oh, it was her, wonderful. Her, wonderful. Her, I wish I could practice. I can't even practice well enough to play his mistakes. <laughs> I mean, like Herbie and Chick, they're my contemporary. I mean, when I, I mean, a contemporary, but of course, I'm into. I love pianists. I didn't mean to catch up, and I love. No, no, you're good. And I love. I mean, because I go back to Art Tatum, mm. who I love is Art Tatum. I mean, it starts with Art Tatum. Like Art Tatum, he's not even pianist, so he's just <laughs> he's got it. and everybody else under him. So right. So I come back from. I mean, there are people beyond Art Tatum I know too, but but Art Tatum is the, he's the, where I measure everything from. Yes, sir. Um, and then, you, like I said, you come up, move up to regression to like you know, the Herbies and Chicks and mm-hmm. Keith Jarrett's and oh uh, people of those those natures. And you have the contempt people who are living today. Uh, you know, yeah. the, I'm, I'm skip like you like you said, Bob. Bob, I know he's he's contemporary. Yeah. Bob's even tried to help me out. He's a very giving person. He is. He, he is. is. You know, giving because I've been on his. Um, He's even played some of my stuff on his radio station. And, Certainly. Uh, I'm trying, I'm, my mind is escaping because I said, I know a lot of these uh, Kent Temple, like you got the Kent Temple, you got Kristen Sands out right now. Mm-hmm. That kid, so, mm-hmm. Y'all are familiar with that boy. Bad, he's, he's the new, he's the new, where, you know, where jazz is going to be. You have Corey Henry, you got, uh, yeah. it? Corey Henry's bad. Yeah, bad brother. Brother out in, uh, not from Texas. Uh, black, he did the black radio. You know him. Uh, um, yeah, um, double booked. Uh, is the cut that I listen from him I'm, all the time. I'm trying, um, it, it'll come to me. This guy, you know him. He, he's he's the most he's the most famous. I went to yeah, Robert Glasper. There you go. Glasper. That's how I started Robert Glasper. I'm I said here. double booked. I, I know him by his music. So. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> that, that was the CD I listened to. And he's uh, like I said, he, and he's they're just a few of the people that I, I mean, you know, the people that I try to because I love listening to local jazz piano. Like I said, I'm a fan of piano. You'll see me. When I'm, you know, I'm unable, I love to go listen to, you know, piano players who have something that, that I think that brings something different to the, you know. To the conversation. Yes, exactly. I'm glad you, yeah. I'm glad you helped me out with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, because it is, uh, it is a language and, uh, you know, many of these brothers are just speaking from their heart, you know, and you could hear it, <laughs> you know, come out through their fingers and, and it's not just the technical and that's, that's where I like to listen to. I mean, I'm a drummer and I'm always into the the soul. Okay, what is he what is he saying and and they can have all the technique down, but sometimes if it's too technical it could be boring. You know, you want to hear, mm-hmm. oh, you know, <laughs> Glassberg is talking to me here. He said something. I heard you, brother. Great. He said that. You know what I mean? I understand that and make and I, I I take I mean I, I I mean I understand your point and you're right about that. Some things could be so technical it loses a feel or something like that. Exactly. And the way I approach things, I know I'm not a, I don't feel I'm a, that well, a piano player. Yeah. So my thing is composition. Mm -hmm. So you won't hear me do too many solos because the solos, I'm not here to show you that I can play a solo. 
my thing is the composition. I rather I give it to other people in the band. So people, you go to my show, people just smack me and say, do a solo. Now I don't feel like oh. I, said, I wrote the damn tune, but that's enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> They're not doing any more than that, <laughs> you know. Understood. So, yeah, but composition is the thing for me, you know. If and be, that's where it is with me. Like I said, I, I wish I could play it better. I try to play better, but. At this age, I think it's about as good as it's going to get. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you know, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because you're here. You know, I was very, very impressed uh, because sometimes, you know, you'll just put on YouTube and it's it's not to sit there and watch. You know, it really is like a radio station. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you put on a pray, uh, a playlist of Jawanza's uh, music, it's like, oh, man, you know, I mean, there, I, I heard you. I didn't see what you did because I'm not watching. <laughs> you know, but it came across and that I think, you know, I mean, music before, especially let me just insert this, because before the music video became the mainstream, especially jazz, because jazz was, you know, one of the last genres to jump on, you know, the record company saying, oh, we got to have a video for this because the means of communication was all audio and spirit. It was just being downloaded into your spirit. You know, okay, we can get the Michael Jacksons and we can get the Rick James and the pop. We expect that. And yes, you got to have a storyline, but jazz was meant to be appreciated uh, from another level. So, you know, I never really got into the video uh, jazz concept. It just never worked. I'm always listening. Right. I can tell you something to listen to, too, yeah. uh, if you haven't heard, which is uh, you mentioned uh, your boy, Keith Jarrett. Keith Jarrett has a CD, it's an older CD with um, Charlie Hayden on bass called Jasmine. Mm-hmm. Wow. I got to look at, I got to go for that if I haven't heard it. I've listened to a lot of Keith. <laughs> Jasmine. Keith, yeah, it's called Jasmine. And, oh. um, you know, it's just uh, piano, upright bass. And uh, a lot of times I'll take it to the the drums and I'll just vibe with them. I'll be the third, the third oh, member. But it's just a wonderful, wonderful project. If you just want to talk about pure spirit coming across the speakers, roll with that one. I'm going to tell I definitely will look at that one. Definitely. definitely. Thank, thank you. Oh, absolutely. Now tell me about your time with the great Billy Paul. I believe you toured with him. Yes, I did. I played with Billy for a year. And mm. In fact, it was my first gig out of getting out of college. Is that right? Yeah. He had met me. I, I finished my study. I finished all my studies in December of 78, even though I came out. My, my year of graduation was officially 79. I'd finished all my work. I'd met him in September. I mean, this is a brief story. Bear with me on this story. Around, I, I grew up in West Philly, and West, if, if, you, if you're familiar, familiar with Will Smith from West Philly, too. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. around the corner from me, a lot of celebrities would come around and visit this one guy who was pretty well because he was Stevie Wonder's cousin. Mm. Even when Stevie was doing, when Stevie did final, um, Stevie was at the height of his career, when he became yeah. to Philly, he would stay on 57th Street with his cousin in West Philly. Mm-hmm. So because of that association, notable people would come over and visit his cousin. If you look in the back of his, um, any of Stevie's albums in the 70s or something, his cousin's name is Damien Smith. You'll see his name in the back of it. Mm-hmm. When I went over there in September, Billy was over there. That was a few months before I graduated. And Damien was telling me, this cat's good. You know, he's, he's, he's graduating. He's good. He's a bad guy. So Billy said, well, I'm looking for somebody. I'm going to look me up when you come on out. I said, all right. I thought about it. So anyway, I came on out. I, I didn't really think much of it. Then when I came on out, I looked him up and called him. He said, come on down audition. 
auditioned and I played and I got the gig. Wow. And but I got the gig as the backup keyboard player. They had an, um, a, a keyboard player by James Batten. He's a bad boy, but he's since passed too. He was a he was the head keyboard player at the time until he left. Then I took over as the head keyboard player for the remainder. Wow. Yeah. Ball. I played with him for a year. And so uh, touring and recording. Uh, didn't do the recordings. I came up after he, he did his he did his last recording a month or two before I joined the band with Philly mm -hmm. International. I just said not with Philly International was his last recording. He's he went on to some other labels beyond that. Yeah, but that was a, and I missed it as a band recording. But I toured with me a tour tour going around the world with him doing that that in nineteen seventy. No, it was nineteen eighty. I'm sorry, no seventy nine because seventy nine up until eighty. Wow, I, I played with him. So uh, have you done more session work with uh, Philly International, Kenny Gamble, Leon Huff? No, uh, that was part for Philly. No, I hadn't. I haven't done anything uh, recordings with them. No, mm -hmm. I did some things recordings I've done with, with Warner Brothers, um, with Philly, and uh, with this. Um, that was when I got out of after I finished playing with Billy Potter. Was a, um, Warner Brothers had um, a singer that was in Philadelphia, and I knew the people who produced it. And they asked me because I did some session work for them mm -hmm. with this particular singer. Um, then there's some other fledging little labels. I was on a label called Alpha International Records. Alpha. Mm -hmm. That was um, Alpha Alpha in International with yes, some sir. notable people there. I, I was brought on as producer songwriter, um, but beyond that, that was about my. And there was some like some independent little smaller labels and stuff like that, but no distributions, uh, major distributions. Gotcha. Wow. Well, what has been you think uh, as you look back over your career the most challenging uh, lesson that you've had to walk through as an entree musician? Getting out of my own way. Hmm. Explain. Right. Can you expound on that? We were speaking, just you and I were just speaking about the music industry. Mm -hmm. And when you think about, like I said, we have to think about, we don't like to, but it's hard making categories or something like that. And that's what I mean, getting out of my own way. I, I, I was reluctant or resistant to doing certain things that I, I'm, I'm going to do it this way and I'm just going to do it this way. So I had to come back and refine and take into account what we're in this for business. We have to think about the business first because a lot we can think about art all we want. That feeds our ego. Yeah. But you want to feed your pocket and you want an income. So you have to change your mindset. So mm -hmm. I kept I had to get I had to difference between feeding my ego or, or you know being you know income driven. Yes, so that's yes. what I mean by getting out of my own way. So let me not say they're just going to listen to this and I'm going to do this. I don't care. Yeah. So you have to adapt to a certain degree, you know, mm -hmm. and, and still be authentic and genuine in your writing. So that was one of the first things, just getting out of my own way. Was there a second? Uh, second thing? Yeah. Was there a second challenge that you uh, overcame? Mm, no, I would not that comes to mind. No, not mm -hmm. really. I mean, it's just an ongoing, it's it's, it's a continual. So yes. it's nothing that stands out that, I mean, it's, a, it's, I'm learning every day. I'm learning every moment and, so it's a continual, a continual learning. So it's nothing like a major standout thing that, that mm -hmm. really got. Yeah. Well, what do you think uh, is your most rewarding experience then as an entree musician? You've overcome the challenge of getting out of your own way. What uh, show or recording or uh, experience that you've uh, had that you can say, "Wow, this was this was the one that was worth it all." Maybe more than one. Well, I was trying to think, you know, one of the most rewarding experiences that people like my stuff, that people, you know, you write something 
and I have a newsletter. Like I was telling, I just told you I have a newsletter so subscribers list. And if you want to um, just go to my website and you just, there's a sign up sheet, but I enjoy the people there, the people they stick with me. I mean, mm. they stick with you. And the fact that people don't know you and they believe enough in you to sign on to you and they stick with you. And that's, that's, that's one of the most rewarding things that's that feeds the ego. And, but, but, it, it, that from a spiritual aspect, I, I, because they they can pick anybody, they, they can pick anybody else, but they pick me to, to, to follow me, and and I don't take that for granted. You know that's that that's the most that touches me. You know, doing yeah, stuff man. like that. And, but from a musical aspect, not much. <laughs> that's <pretty> much <laughs> I mean, except that it's continuous. It's a continuous. Not like because like, I enjoy this. Yeah. I enjoy writing. I mean, if nobody's going to listen, I'm gonna still write. That's mm-hmm. not you listen to it or not. Does a, does a tree make a sound in the woods when it falls? I, I don't know why you that. Nobody now. listens. <laughs> Nobody's there to listen, I should say. Yeah, it still makes a sound. <laughs> that's true. And that's that's the physics of it. That's that's absolutely the, the correct answer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh it, it may not be effective that you know, not too many heard that, you know, distinctively, but you heard it. It did make a sound, it did happen. And uh, I'm reminded of a documentary. Um, I think uh, the name of the documentary was a band out of Detroit. It it was called a band called Death, D-E-A-T-H. And I would advise any entree musician to watch that. You you talked about your brother uh, being in West Philly and and listening to the Beatles and listening to classical music. Well, this band was a black band around the corner in Detroit, Michigan from Motown playing rock music, rock, you know, before Living Color, before, you know, uh, oh. these guys. And, and uh, you know, you can go on Netflix or, or, you know, whatever your platform is and just type in a band called Death. Now, the interesting thing about it was they were playing all this metal music and, you know, brothers were saying, yo, you know, what's up, right? And yeah. the band leader who has since passed away, he kept promising the band, hey, somebody's going to hear this. This is going to really move people. Never did. I think two other band members passed away, if I remember the documentary properly. But some kid who was in the punk music and rock in San Francisco was going through a vinyl bin. He was a DJ, found this band, put it on. This is 20-something years later, and it just blows up. Really? It's Did you just, see the story Finding Sugarman? Did you see the one on 60 Minutes, Finding Sugarman? No, no. Was that about Burt Sugarman? No, no, it wasn't about it. Was the, the singer. He's he, from the West Coast. He did an album in the early 70s or something like that. Mm. And it never made over here, but it picked up the anti-apartheid in South Africa. They picked him up as a champion. That encouraged the apartheid to be the um, demolished. Oh, my goodness. Now I have to watch that. And he was living in obscurity working at a car wash or doing something. He's in the 70s now. And they just did a thing. He's the biggest thing over in South Africa. They just did a thing. They did a thing about five years ago on, on Super on um 60 Minutes and stuff like that. Wow. So his music was the, the, the lyrics and the things that gave him encouragement for people to, you know, to, to oppose apartheid and things that of that nature. Yeah. And like it's like he wrote it in, in the 70s. Now people now he's the biggest thing. And I forgot it. Then he got even an honorary Grammy in the United States because of it. Something like amazing. That. So I'm going to have to check that out. I will do that. You know, I, I have my history buff. I love uh, watching documentaries. And you uh, mean so Sugarman. Too. Yeah. OK, good. That's, That's fantastic. Finding Sugarman. Finding Sugarman. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely going to uh, look that up. Now you have traveled across, and I'm talking about decades. You know um, the different <laughs> aspects of of how the music business works. You know, obviously uh, in 1974 when you made your first demo, you know it, it was all about distribution. It was all about being on the right record label. It was all about radio play if you can get it. And now you know that we're into the streaming platforms and whatnot. Has there been, because you've been in the industry so long, has it been like just the smooth journey for you or did you have to make adjustments that uh, were hard and fast and you needed to find that, hey, I got to learn this or I have to be on this? Or was it because, oh, okay, this is, I'm just making this left turn now, just like you do in your music? It's pretty much the latter, making a left turn. I mean, the, the industry dictates what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And you, because I said, I, when I started, I mean, they were using, I mean, of course, there was no digital or anything like that. You know, there's no notation software. Yeah. There was, the equipment was, you know, so I'm also an electrician um, by trade. I'm a, I'm, all, I'm a journeyman electrician. I, have, I went through an apprenticeship. Uh, I see. Before I went to Berkeley, that's how I paid for Berkeley. <laughs> so I can get into potentiometers. I can t- get into the equipment and things ah. that have changed over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've seen the equipment change, you know, from analog to digital. Now the platforms and how to get out right now, this is an advantageous time for all people mm. because you don't need the record labels. In fact, it's sometimes record labels, you would like, don't get me wrong. Well, let me, let me preface that. I need the funding of the, like, of the record labels. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. But because of the advantages of this distribution strength, I mean, it's open to everybody, even the independent, even well-known artists are doing the same thing. They're going to independent distributors like CD Baby, was yeah. it TuneCore, whatever yeah. these, these independent, I'm sure you know a lot. More. Oh, absolutely. And so that's what's changed and it's opened everything now. The, the misnomer of it is because it's open to everybody, it's open to everybody. <laughs> and when I say it's open to everybody, everybody and this, anybody and their brother can buy a little a laptop and do stuff and it all sits so the competition is way is it's 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 crazy that's true and to, to get seen beyond your composition you have to think strategically you have to come up with a plan you just can't see this is one thing i i'm in a marketing i love marketing mm-hmm. and i'm not good at it but i like it but um, <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is you just so many people come up and say help you know i need help with my recording i need to do this and then so they put all the money in the recording and that's where it stops. Mm-hmm. They don't think about it beyond that. I mean, you have a great record. Well, how are you going to get it out to the people? Yeah. They don't even think about marketing. Yeah. I'm aspect. I'm sorry, I forgot. I don't know. No, you got. You got. I'm bass backwards when I do stuff. <laughs> I've even called marketing people. Said, let's start up a marketing plan right now. I want to start a marketing plan for my CD. So when's it coming out? I said, I haven't even begun to write it yet. I just want to talk about marketing. <laughs> people said, well, you must be crazy. But that's where I think about it. Wow. You just. Because I said, it's, you, you have a product. The, the whole thing is you want to get your product out there in front of people. But people don't have a plan. Right. And people don't think about this. They just think about the music. Right. I mean, I I mean, I have so many great CDs. I know people who are in my area. That it just, it just, it's, um, it's, it fuddles me, you know, mm-hmm. that, that people don't put that, that interest in it. Or another thing, musicians or some people, not necessarily music artists themselves, they expect other people to do it for them. Oh, they expect good, to do yeah. things. They, they, they expect to, like, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this off the market. They don't do it. They'll make me famous. And I'll just sit back in, in my bubble and I'll just be continue to be creative. That's correct. It's not how it's going to work, in that, as I see. 
Absolutely. You got to think about marketing. Marketing has to be, it. I think marketing, even the way I approach things, I spend low on recording, spend high on marketing to get mm. to Mm-hmm. Because that's what we hear. That's that's what makes a difference, in my opinion. No, you're absolutely right, sir. I mean, with respect to our creating the entree musician, that was the premise behind it. Because you know, you have to think of the music business as a business, and you have to think about all of the hats on the front end that you have to wear, and your instrument. Hopefully you are proficient enough to be able to tell your story musically. Now you have to tell it in marketing. Now you have to tell it in distribution. Now you have to tell it with your logo, with your, you know, platform, with your, I mean, it it just, it doesn't stop. It is the circular journey because after that cycle is over, well, it's time to get out project number 12 (laughs) or 13. and You you just keep it moving. I taught at, um, I did a little study at a university of Delaware. I, I worked with students there in the marketing course because of a small business. You know, you go to these colleges, they, they, they give you students in, in, in lieu of uh, money, you get, they get credits. So I, I even did, I even did one of their things for the semester of 2019, just working with students in there for, um, but marketing, I mean, I love as much as music, tell the truth, yeah. but I said, but I'm a continual, I mean, I, there's a lot I need to learn, mm-hmm. but, but I'm willing to learn. And that's what I do. You know, I, so I'm a voracious reader on marketing and can't speak enough about it. <laughs> now, I understand that you're an educator in the uh, in your local school system or, you know, are you at the settlement teaching as well or I used in to. your area? Yeah. When I, after Billy Paul, I needed a guy, I needed a gig. Mm. And so that was teaching. I started, for, I started teaching in the Philadelphia school system for two years. And um, before going into Berkeley, um, like, again, I went to t- this before, like I said, I had a trade. I'm a le- journeyman electrician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My mother said, I told, she said, if you go into music, she said, I want you to have something to fall back on. Now, I really liked electricity. I've been, I've, been, I've been dabbling with electricity since I've been in the single digits anyway. So it was a natural, you know, thing, for, progression for me. Mm-hmm. But um, like I said, Berkeley, um, that's how, like I said, that's how I paid for it. So I went into Philadelphia school system and taught there for two years. And then after teaching for Philip, that didn't work. Well, then I worked, then after being with Billy Paul, being at a record label, I worked for Mass Transit in Philadelphia for 33 years mm-hmm. in, in, in the trades department. As a, at first, I started as a mechanic, electrical mechanic. Then I went into management and I retired there seven years ago, eight years ago now this year. Yeah. So that's what my income was generally for that time being. In the inter- while I was doing, I was writing things for TV shows. That's how I get it because now I can bring the equipment back. Here we go. Technology. I could bring the equipment back here. I was writing music for plots for TV shows. I was doing independent films and keep myself in. In fact, when I was on Alpha International, I was still working at SEPTA because Mm. now I could bring a studio in my house, you know, so the things I brought in income, you know. No, that's absolutely excellent. Hope I, didn't, hope I didn't go off the rail. No, no, that was that was fantastic. I was wondering too why you were, you know, with your uh, history of electronics and and working in that field, uh, are you as a composer or even as a musician more inclined to write from the piano or, or perform from the piano, or are you more a synthesis and do you compose from that perspective as well? I prefer to perform for the piano, the acoustic. I love the acoustic piano. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really do. And so yeah. I prefer to do anything like that. That's, that's what comes down. But then again, you have some tunes that work well with the electric piano or different sounds too. Yeah. But off 
but preference preferably I would I love the acoustic piano. That's the crazy. nuances, the sounds, the you know the sounds you can get out that that synthesize. I mean it, it's don't get I mean I love to synthesize sounds, but they can be tend to be one dimensional even though they do um, artificial type of sound like surround stuff like that. Sure. The nuances in the piano, even though I have I have some great sample sounds like um, can I mention the brand name was on my yeah, head? Sure, sure. Keys- Nobody's paying us. Oh, Keyscape <laughs> Spectral Sound says I, I recommend this. I highly recommend this um, piano sample. It's called Keyscape. Mm-hmm. It's one of the, I have a lot of piano sound, but that's about the best one out there. Wow. And as great as that is, like I said, it doesn't compare to a real piano because you there's air around the piano when they put mics up, the, the sound that comes out of it is just when you have the air around the mic itself, it sounds differently. Yeah. But yeah, but I getting I'm a lover of acoustic piano. That that's pretty amazing. I uh saw an interview with uh Joe Sample from maybe about nine or ten years ago, and he was asked the same question with respect to uh synthesis, and he absolutely hated it. I mean, he had some very <laughs> harsh things to say about how he was hurting his hands trying to play the uh, synthesizer, even those with the weighted keys, but they did not give to him what the acoustic piano gave to him when he dug into it. That's real cool. So as you were talking about that, you know, and then I understand too, with respect to history, um, there was a huge conversation, especially I think as, as far as Miles Davis was concerned with uh, respect to Herbie and Chick moving from the acoustic piano to <laughs> the electric piano. That that was a huge conversation in jazz. Did you you know the little story about Herbie? Herbie said he did play electric. Said, What's that? <laughs> Herbie didn't know what it was. <laughs> so, you know, he knew what it was, but he, he told him to start playing it, you know. Right, right. But, but, but like I said, we all know that there are places where synthesizers and, and, and electronic stuff works perfectly. You know, the acoustic, you know, you take it to a different level. And Absolutely. So it has a, I mean, I'm a lover of all of it, but preferably I love the, I love the acoustic piano. My goodness. Now, final question would be, what would you, Mr. Kobe, tell the 19-year-old Mr. Kobe, who's just getting started and saying, music is my life? What would be the one thing that you would tell that young man? When's this stuff gonna happen, man? I've been doing this for so long. When am I gonna be famous? No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this thing for three weeks now. Why nobody picked up on this stuff yet? That's probably yeah. I gotta get away from that. That's that's what I think. <laughs> what would I tell him? <laughs> Just continue to write. Continue mm. to write. I mean, it's not. I mean, it, you you may not. You may not be a um, you may not be recognized, or you may not be, you may not be recognized or appreciated by others. But mm. what does it do for your soul? Wow. If it does for your soul, feed your soul and continue to do it. Yeah. And they keep saying, and you, we always like to have these affirmations and these I call these bumper sticker things. Yeah, you keep doing some will come. Either you do it, then people will come to you. If you build it, they will come. Right. 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 <laughs> you know, that, they may not that come. Yeah. That's right. It, it doesn't right. work that way. But I would just give him say, just keep feeding your soul. That's what makes you, if it makes you happy, you keep doing it. That is so good. And I think that that uh, is great advice uh, that spans beyond Mr. 19-year-old Kobe to the rest of the entree musicians who are watching. Because, I mean, I can tell you that there were times when we were putting our band together that we just played for our family members. You know, we have to rent it the place out, you know, and it was like, yo, selling tickets and your family came, God bless them. 
you know, for coming. But the one thing that I learned during those times is you play like the house is full. Every time. Your performance should never change if you're playing for one person to 50 million people. That's exactly good is good. That's right. And and so my cousins and my aunts and uncles went out and told, hey, they got they got something. (laughs) You know what I mean? But but there were a few more and a few more until you really start, you know, doing the thing where people really respect the fact that you're going to give your all every time. And that's what being an entrepreneur musician is all about. And I got to tell you, sir, I am so very, very grateful to have met you. I hope that this is not the last conversation that we have. Thank you for putting the music out for us. Um, Is it okay to give your information if someone wants to get in touch with you? Uh, Are are you um, doing any coaching or any sessions on, you know, marketing or anything that any entree musician could say, hey, I really dug what this gentleman has to say and I need to reach out to him. Is that okay to provide your information? This would be one because I said I'm, I'm like I'm a certain age right now. I, I don't want to take this stuff with me. Where I'm, I mean, I mean, I want to share this with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, if you reach out to me, I'm I give it to you. <laughs> I, Excellent. I mean, I'll give you the information because I said it's it's here to share. I'm I'm, yes. I'm a teacher by nature. My mother was a teacher. My father was a teacher. Stepfather's a teacher. So it's in my blood to get, yeah, and the yeah. teaching it to me is nothing but being passionate enough to be to share your passion with someone else. So yeah. by all means, let people know. Yeah, I mean, because I like doing, because I said I do film scoring. Um, yes, sir. If you, I, like I said, film the current ones out right now. It's winning awards right now. It's called the Nine PM uh, Whistle, um, and that's winning awards right now. It's won some in L.A. and I forgot Nigeria. So, long story short, yes, please. Because I said I'll, I'll come. I'll get back to you. I mean. Like, yes. Within reason. I mean, some people keep, like I said, don't expect people to do things for you. I'll give you an information to a path and a yeah. direction to go, and you go from there. That's but I'm right. open, man, because I said, I don't, I mean, I, I don't want to keep this stuff in me. I want to give right. it to someone. I learned this stuff for Swedish. And it's not just for me, it's who wants, who wants to know. So I'm open. That's fantastic. Well, of course, your website, we're, uh, we're showing that across the top of the screen right now, but uh, okay. we'll make sure that in the description box, uh, we'll put the information to get into Mr. Juwanzi Colby, his website, and all of the information you may need if you want to reach out to him. As you just heard, he's accessible. And he is what we call around here an ultra entree musician because he's really put down the roots He's really established a standard and the rest of us are are following that, especially us jazz buffs, where we're following it hardcore. But that's Jawanza Kobe, Mr. Jawanza Kobe, and uh, blessings to you, my friend. He's an entree musician. My name is Jerry B. I'm an entree musician, but most importantly, so are you. And we will see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you, sir.